try again. You know, we used to preach without them. Yeah, so we, we could try that. Yeah, I'm not sure I could hit 5,000 people today. But <clears throat> I want to start by saying that uh, we, we should be reminded. I want to remind us that this local church, this what may seem like a small group here this morning, compared to the community is absolutely important in God's eternal plan. And as I was worshiping this morning, it occurred to me just so specifically that we should never lose sight of the fact that we're not just a little club that meets up in the mountains and does something fun every now and then or hangs out during the weekend, small groups, life groups. We actually are part of an eternal plan that God has for his people, and our part of it is important. As Brian was sharing, I thought, uh, this is one of the real powerful parts of a small local congregation is that they find themselves connecting to other places in the world and bringing dramatic change in lives that may not be touched if we weren't there. And, and it's easy to put it off and say, oh, well, you know, if we weren't there, somebody else would do it. Maybe not. Maybe there is no other Brian Taylor, right? Maybe there was no other Judy Kirshner. I, I have not seen Judy now for more than a decade easily. And I had no idea she had a three-story building up there. That was so exciting to see. I thought, wow, this thing is just, God has breathed on what she went down there to do. And as she was just, I like that picture of her just walking the cobblestone saying, well, Lord, here I am. What do you want to do? Here I am out of the hospital and my training. And now I feel my heart connecting and think, wow, from that little walk down the cobblestone to a three-story building and touching hundreds and hundreds of kids. You would despise not, the Bible says, the day of small beginnings. And so, Brian, proud of you for you know owning up to what you believe the will of God is for you. And you're going to connect us there again. And, uh, Rob, I apologize. You went for a year. You were there for three. We must have forgot something. <laughs> like you. <laughs> Was there a Rob? <laughs> so for the next few minutes, I'm really pleased to uh, continue to add perhaps another part to the series that uh, Pastor Rob has been sharing with uh, Pastor Floyd and uh, the good doctor, Dr. Floyd Evers. And this series that they've been working on addresses four main points, uh, the kingdom of God, the spiritualistic worldview, a grace bias, and relational structures. Now I'll leave it up to you to figure out which one of those four mine fits into. Uh, it's supposed to fit into one of them, I think. As I was writing my notes, I thought that we, we, you and I, as individuals, as a congregation, well, that would be very nice. You know why they do this? You think it's for lubricating the throat. Why do I have such effects today? Well, this is actually sort of... Fill my bladder and I'll get done sooner. <laughs> Towards the end of the message, I move a lot more. <clears throat> anyway, all this humor. I realize that you and I are on the same quest that all believers have, have been on since becoming believers. We can reach back to the very first ones where they were called Christians in Antioch in the scriptures. What were they after? And what will the Christians that follow us be after? It's, it's this desire that's built in by the Spirit of God to know Him, even as we are known by Him. Don't we want to know God as, as well as He knows us? This is a quest we have, and it seems sometimes elusive. It's hard to get a hold of. Will I ever know God as well as He knows me? We know that in the eternal perspective, that will happen. And I'm, I'm, I'm glad that we'll have supernatural equipment at that point because to know God as we are known would blow our minds. Literally, would probably explode our heads. You know, it would be over to try and comprehend God with this finite ability that we have now. Yet it is a quest that we share to know him and to be known by him. To, to allow this, the living Christ, he's not dead. You know, this is something about Christianity that's so different than any other religion. Our leader is alive from the dead. 
No other leader of any other religion in the world has ever pulled that off, right? It, it, it's a marked difference for us that our leader is alive from the dead. He went before us to the cross. He took us to the cross with himself. He nailed our lives there with him. He removed our sin. He removed our curse. He paid the price for us to be absolutely liberated and to be in him and to have him live in us. Now, that's, a, that's something we're going to talk about here this morning, but it still boggles my mind that the God of the universe lives inside. And I, I always fail to this, so you've heard it before, but about the little guy at the doctor, right? And the doctor's got a stethoscope, and he's going around, and he says, Oh, I hear, uh, I hear Barney in there. The little guy says, No, that's Jesus. Barney's on my underwear. You know? And even the youngest can know somehow, not just mystically, but by faith, that Christ is alive inside. It's a mystery, yet it's a reality. Christ in you, the Bible says, is the hope of God's glory on the earth. Jesus living his life out through your life, manifesting who he is in his character and his nature and his presence, living out through you is God's hope of being glorified on the earth. It's an amazing thing that he wants to use you, don't you think? That he's, he's willing to bring himself inside of you and, and mingle with your personality and your styles and your weirdness. I mean, your differences, <laughs> your uniqueness, and, and still choose to emanate his life out through you in every situation you're in. And it's, it's so fun to preach here because... I just look at faces that I know lives, I know where you work, I know what you do during your day somewhat. I don't know everything, but don't worry. Yeah, thank God I don't know everything. But but to think about where God has placed each of us in this community and then says, now let me live my life through you there in that situation, in that place, whether it's in a, in a well, I won't try and name all the things that you do. You know what you do. And God wants to use you there. And I don't work where you work, and I may not go where you go. And so I can't be Christ in that situation, but you can. And this is what we're after, to have him live his life, his powerful life through us, this same powerful life that raised from the dead. We also know that we need to discover the purposes that he has for us. We, we applaud Brian because he's willing to stand up this morning and say, I think that God is leading me in this direction. In other words, I, I'm beginning to step forward and look at the, and discover what God wants to do with me. And we applaud the, the young guy. Hey, pretty soon he'll be gone to Guatemala. We won't have to think about it anymore. Why? Because it confronts us. He says, wait, shouldn't I be stepping up to a plate somewhere? Shouldn't I be asking God what it is you want to do with me? It's not always some foreign mission field. It's right here in this town. This, this church, this congregation has a purpose. It has a calling. And every one of us is important to fulfilling the calling of God. How are we going to do it? We're going to do it by finding out his purposes for our lives. And I'm not going to brush past this too quickly, but, but it will be brief. We also want to find the healing we need. We need to find the restoration that God has for us because we're broken. And we don't come to him perfect, right? We come because we're broken. We come because we're needy. We, we come to him because he has what we don't have. Not only salvation, but he has freedom for us. He has restoration processes. He has ways of bringing us through whatever it is that's binding us up to keep us from being fulfilled in Him. And so these are the things that Christians have really been after since they were called Christians. We need to become repaired or find the correction necessary in our lives. You know, we're living weird. God wants to bring correction to that discipline. Help us to come into alignment with who He wants us to be. These kind of things don't get big amens. That's okay. I'm all right. You know, we're not that big of an amen church anyway. And uh, I should include in my thought here that some of us were abused. Some of us were afflicted. Some of us were hit upon by those outside of us. These aren't just inherent problems we have sometimes. There are things that have happened to us. There are damages that have come from the world, the flesh, and the devil. And sometimes when we say the world, we have to include even some of our family members in the past that have, have broken us or said things to us or actually hurt us physically, abused us mentally or spiritually, however it happened. I mean, we have, we have problems. 
<laughs> we come to the cross, and that's the beauty of it. We get to lay them all down there. Say, Jesus, this is, this is all I have to offer. And the old Gaither song, I think it was, he said, you know, all, all we have to offer him is brokenness and strife, but he made something beautiful out of my life. This is our hope. To come and say, this is my shame. This is my guilt. This is my hurt. This is my woundedness. I can't fix this. And have the King of kings and the Lord of lords and the lover of our soul say, well, I can. I've already made the provision for it. I've already paid the price for it. Now let me lead you into it. We don't have to live constantly in our brokenness. We don't have to live indefinitely in our pain. God wants to bring the things to us that will cause his life to overcome those things in us. And I'm grateful for that. When we come to Christ, this is probably the first point. That was all an introduction. 2 Corinthians 5.17, and as you're turning there, I would say that I'm reminded of Armand Gesswine's comment. I've quoted him numerous times. He's quite a man of God. He said, in the Bible, the plain things are the main things. And the main things of the Bible are the plain things. Sometimes we look at very basic ideas that maybe we've heard a hundred times. We look at a scripture we've read, memorized, and, and sometimes it can become what we call trite. So easily said that there's no meaning left in it. When's the last time you actually heard the checker say to you at the store, have a nice day? I had one say to me yesterday, have a nice day. And I thought, it's just trite. She doesn't care if I'm having a nice day. She doesn't want to know if I'm having a nice day. She's just supposed to say, have a nice day. And it's, it's empty. I usually try and catch them off guard. I love it. Have a nice day. I, I, I lean right toward them. I go, you know what? This, this has been part of it right here. And they go, part what? I said, part of the nice day I'm having has been this moment I spent with you. Checkers just get all kinds of fluttered when you do that stuff. They don't even know what to say. You know, and, and if, what do you, if they look at you like, what are you doing? I say, listen, you started this. <laughs> I often like to say, I get different words. You don't get out of the norm. I say, have a nice day. I say, thank you for coming to work today. And they look, what? So well, where would I be if you weren't here? They don't know the answer. It's crazy. 2 Corinthians 5.17. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. And I'm going to stop right there. It's a comma. It's not a period. It's a comma. It continues. But in Christ. This is our key phrase today. In Christ. Paul the Apostle in his writings, 13 books of the New Testament, if you allow, Hebrews. If you don't, that's okay. Call it 12 and and maybe another one. Used this phrase nearly a hundred times. It was his most used phrase for trying to communicate what a Christian is. In Christ. In Christ. Are you in Christ today? How many would confidently say, my life is in Christ? There's a little hesitation there. And that's what I'd like to address. There should be no hesitation. But you're wondering if I'm going to qualify it in such a way that you might not be able to raise your hand. Well, wait, what do you mean by That's what we need to know. What does it mean to be in Christ? Because the Bible says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, I'm a new creation. Now, if you want to do the study, you can find out on your own and, and, and bear it out. That this does not mean that you're remodeled. This does not mean that that somehow God rehashed what you used to be to try and make something valuable out of it. It means what it says. Old things are passed away. All things have become new. He said, well, my body didn't change. My thoughts didn't change that radically. Your thoughts changed when you came to Christ. 
Think about it, really. They did change. I use a simple illustration. The first time after I'd accept Christ, I was downtown talking to friends, and out came the blue streak of colorful metaphors. Right? Four-letter words, and I'm not talking about love. And they came out, and it was as though I could see them form in the air. And this apprehension hit me like a truck, and I thought, oh, I don't say those things anymore. Nobody told me I couldn't swear. Nobody told me I had to talk different. The Holy Spirit inside who came to convict of sin, righteousness, and judgment grabbed a hold of my heart and life and yours and made a change in the way we think. And when that stuff came out of my mouth, I wanted so badly to just inhale somehow and suck it all back in. And I didn't need anybody to train me. And there's a passage of Scripture in the third John that tells us this. First John, actually. We'll get to that in a minute. We are new creations. We're not an old rehash. We're not a remodeled thing where the wheels could fall off later because it's the same old infrastructure of our life. He says all things are brand new if you're in Christ. In Colossians chapter 1, the things we're talking about today, I have at the very bottom of my notes this sentence, we appropriate these things by faith. It is by faith that we live, right? I didn't see Jesus nailed to the cross. I believe it by faith that it happened. I did not see Jesus raised from the dead, but by faith I appropriated that my life is hidden with him and I also am raised from the dead. And it was after I believed that after I received by faith that truth and it was broken in and birthed in my spirit and in yours, it was after that that the confirmation came. Right? That you, you now you know beyond the shadow of a doubt that it's true. Because the living Jesus talks with you, walks with you, wakes with you, sleeps with you. It's a reality that cannot be changed or altered by anybody's opinion. When people say that can't be true, I say it's too late. <laughs> I mean, it's too late. I can say God's alive. How do you know he's alive? Well, I talked to him this morning. He talked back. We have a relationship. I know. But I had to appropriate it by faith. These things we talk about this morning are the same. Colossians chapter 1, verses 13 and 14. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. He's delivered us from the power of darkness. This word delivered means rescued. It means that you are saved from one, one thing or one person or one. You were saved from one and then drawn to another. It happens all in one stroke. If you can see Christ coming to get your life, he rescues you from the power of darkness. And as he's rescuing you, if you can see him reaching out his arms as it were, in grabbing you as you lived your life under the power of darkness and drawing you then to himself. This is a rescue. <laughs> it's a rescue. He's not leaving part of you there. He's not leaving you connected to your past. He's not leaving you affixed to the previous power over your life. He has rescued you. And he took you out of one and then drew you to himself. This is great news. This is great news. See, the enemy wants you to think you're still stuck in some of that. The enemy of your soul and even your flesh wants you to believe at times that you're still connected to some of those things. But it's not true. Because the next sentence says, He conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. He transferred us. He transplanted us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. Methistemi means to change from one place to another. A removal, a transfer, and a relocation. That's what this word means in the Greek. I know because I'm a great Greek scholar. Don't believe that. 
I'm not even sure I said it right. I remember teaching this whole message once on the word enthusiasm in the Greek, entheososmos. And I, man, I preached that thing like there was no end to it. I got done, and we, were, we didn't even have this building at the time. We were in the little room next door. That was the church in the kid zone. That was our whole church building. And I preached on a blackboard. A blackboard? What's that? <laughs> Piece of chalk. These are the old days. We had an overhead projector, too. Anyway, oh, man, I'm writing all over this board. The board's almost bigger than the room. And I got done. I wiped my brow. And I thought, man, did I wax eloquent or what? There was a visitor. We have some visitors here today. Maybe you're them. He came to me and he said, I just want to tell you that was a great message. I really got a lot out of that. I said, thank you. I said, you don't know, felt bigger all inside. He said, I just need to tell you something. He said, I'm actually a Greek scholar. He says that I mean to tell you, you butchered that thing. He said, from the beginning to the end. It, it, you, it was horrible. It was almost painful. I said, really? He said, but the message was perfect. I said, thank you. So don't, you can look up the Greek yourself the same way I do. But Jesus reached in and rescued us. He, he took us away from one thing and drew us to himself. And then in that process, he conveyed us. And I, I need visuals, and I'm not that good at them. I, I had boxes in mine, but I stole Pastor Rob's Bible cover. This is mine. And as you can see, they're from Guatemala. Jesus came and reached in to where our life was completely surrounded by the power of darkness. I mean, it had dominion over us, right? We were sucked into it, living for it, and we didn't even know we were in it. And then Jesus came along and shined his light, and we saw something, and he reached in, and today you're going to be a mouse. He reached in, and he drew us out. He took us to himself and held us, and then he conveyed us from one place of power of darkness and transplanted and relocated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love. God the Father did this for us. Now let me ask you a question using these simple illustrations. If that's me down in there, in this second bag, can I even see the power of darkness place anymore? Am I connected to it any longer? You know, the problem is, and I, I saw these two boxes in my mind this morning. I was going to have a, a big box for the kingdom of God and a little box for the power of darkness. and going to have a little man and moving from one to the other. And then out of the big box, I wanted this little rolled-up ladder to come out and throw over the wall and roll down into the power of darkness box. You see what I'm saying? There's some of the problem. Is that we are convinced by the enemy, are convinced by self or flesh, or the world, the devil, that there's still a connection over to that other box. That's not what Jesus said. It's not what the apostles teach. You've been moved from one to the other. You're out of one, and you're in the other forever. And in this kingdom, in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of the Son of His love, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Not the temporary moment of feeling good about maybe I'm okay with God. I'm talking about the removal of sin. He took all my sin. He took all your sin. And he nailed it at the cross. You know, we were all there. We were all there at the cross. Your life was there. My life was there. God saw, through, saw down through time. He calculated every single one of our sins. He knew the barrier that would exist between he and us. And he said, this is going to take care of it. This one sacrifice, this one lamb of God, this one perfect sinless sacrifice nailed there for me who did not have to die, right? The wages of sin is death. Jesus didn't sin. He did not deserve to go to the cross. He volunteered to go to the cross. He was obedient to the Father's will to go to the cross. And when he was there, this is total conjecture and theory coming out right here. Hear me, okay? This is my own idea. But the Bible says that darkness covered the face of the earth. It was so dark, it was like night for a number of hours while Jesus was on the cross, right? My, my view of that is that all of the sin of all man's time, present, uh, past, and future converged at the cross. 
my sins went all the way there. And I'm telling that's the only thing I know of that could blot out the sun is the darkness of that collective sin presence. And so I see it that way. That's a visual for me. I go, that's what happened for me. I connect that your sin and my sin traveled that time distance and back to the cross and blotted out the natural sunlight to a point that it was obscured. We were there. All I'm trying to get us to say is, I was there. I'm the reason. I'm the reason for the cross. And because I'm the reason for the cross, Jesus said, I took away your sins that you have redemption. I bought you back, you're mine forever. Nothing can ever take you away. Nothing can strip you out of my hand. I'm not talking about eternal security here. I'm just talking about keeping yourself in relationship with the one who saved you means you're going to make it forever. Eternity's in the bag. We were transferred. John chapter 15 Again, another familiar passage of Scripture, I hope, for you. Jesus is speaking, and it would be great to spend a lot of time on the setting. But let's just, uh, if you'll let me fast forward, this is within the last 24 hours of Jesus' life on the earth. He's already washed the disciples' feet in chapter 13. He's told them he's leaving and to not be concerned about it. Chapter 14, he's going away to make a place and bring it. When he's done making it, he's going to come and get them, take them there forever hearing things. I'm just kidding. I hope that's not the timer. Oh my! Somebody's alarm. His time is up. He's over. Isn't that that? Have, tell him to drink some more water. He needs to drink some more water. You gotta hurry this message up. In, in chapter 14, verse 31, the last sentence, Jesus says to his disciples, "Arise." Let's go from here. So evidently they left wherever they were doing all the foot washing and eating and conversing. And one of the views is that he began his journey up to the Mount of Olives for the evening. And on the way there's vineyards all along. And this conversation starts. Surrounded by vineyards. I am the true vine. And my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. Many versions say takes away. Mine has a footnote that I like better. It says he lifts up. I'm not the first one to discover this. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. And let me stop right there because of that, what I just mentioned in the first verse. Every branch in me. What we talked about, Second Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, Jesus is alluding right here. He's talking about branches as people, people as branches that are in him. These are not branches that are not in him. If I may just to the point, these are believers. These are followers. These are disciples. They're in him. And you can be a branch in Jesus that doesn't bear fruit. This is a problem, right? But it says... He takes away, I, I would replace that, and I'm not alone. Uh, I have a little book here, even somewhere. What's it? A lot of you have read this. I just looked at it to confirm it again. Secrets of the Vine. You know, this guy's a master teacher, Bruce Wilkinson. This guy's amazing. And uh, while I'm waving this around, there's an inscription in the cover. It says September 2001. I wrote this to my son, Jonathan, who's here today. And somehow I got your book back. So I return it to you in public. Twelve years later. <laughs> in this book, he makes the same argument that the word in the Greek that was used here means lifts up, not takes away. He lifts up. What's the picture? The picture is there are vines, or there are branches that come off the vine that, <clears throat> due to negligence probably, that little branch falls into the dirt. And it lays there and gets dust all over it. If it rains, it turns to mud, and it gets encaped encased in the filth of the earth, if you will. And it cannot live. It will not bear fruit. But when the vine dresser, the husbandman, comes along and goes, oh, poor little branch, we need to lift you up. And he brings his water and he actually washes the leaves and washes it clean. 
and then he lifts it up and he affixes it to another branch or he ties it to the trellis so that it can get the sunlight that it needs to bear fruit. So if you're in Christ and you find your life is unfruitful, you can ask him, Lord, cleanse me from whatever it is that has a hold of my life that's keeping me in the dirt. Lift me up. Put me in the direct sunlight. Am I making sense here? Use a lot of words that go both ways. Put me in the light of your son. Put me in the life flow of Jesus again so that I can begin to bear fruit. He's not anxious to cut anybody off. God's attitude, God's character has always been restoration, redemption, buying back. He's not looking, he's not the big bad God that runs around with his pruning shears looking for a way to cut you off and throw you into a fire, which comes later in this passage. But he says in verse 3, Jesus is talking to his disciples. And after he says, if he finds a, a branch that doesn't bear fruit, he lifts it up. And then he says, but you're already clean because of the word which I've spoken to you. I think they understood more than we do in this English translation that's unfortunate. They understood that he was saying to them, you're not laying in the dirt. You're already clean because of the words I spoke to you. How do you and I live today? Further in my notes, and I may not get to it in in form and in, in number four or something, but we live by the very word of God. Man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. This is our bread. He is the living bread. He is the true word. He is the word of God. And we're, we're, we're instructed, we're encouraged, we're commanded to stay in this word. Right? Because this word brings us life. But Jesus is this word alive. So walking in relationship with him, abiding in him, as is said here, is what is so important to me and to you. Verse 4, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I'm the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. And pardon me for my own inflection. I'm sure Jesus didn't say it that way. I'm not really sure, but I I would at least allow the possibility that he didn't go, you can do nothing. I don't know. He had a relationship with those guys. They're out there in the vineyard. He might have. He might have in, inflected a little you nitwits in there. He might have, you know, noogied Matthew on the head or something and said, buddy, without me, you can do nothing. I don't know. He was real. If anyone does not abide in me, here's the problem. Now he's cast out as a branch and withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire, and they're burned. The abiding piece is so important to us. If we elect not to abide in Christ, and you know people who have made that election, but for some reason, some sour point in their life, some difficulty they faced, some moment when they didn't think God cared or answered prayer anymore, they've turned their back and walked away. They cannot bear fruit. They have separated themselves from the vine. Now, God's still after them, right? But in this parable, they're going to just wither and die. And then, then what the, the workers in the vineyard come along looking for those things because they're just taking up space. And they grab them, and they throw them into a pile, and sooner or later they set them on fire. It's got to, they've got to clean up the vineyard. You don't want to be that branch, right? And you're not because you're in him. You're going to stay abiding in him. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, You'll ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. Some versions inject a couple of words here, and it could read, "My words abide." If you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask what you desire, and it shall be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so that so you will be my disciples. You know, if, if just John chapter eight thirty one comes to mind. Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, if you abide in my word, you're my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will make you free. We're disciples. We abide in Christ. How do we maintain this abiding stance? How do we stay connected to the vine? How do we ensure that we're abiding and drawing our life from him? Colossians chapter 1. i got a really zing here. 
Colossians chapter 1. Back again, a little further than where we read before about being conveyed into the kingdom of his son. In verse 19, let's just lift this one verse out. It pleased the Father that in him, that is in Jesus, all the fullness should dwell. Fullness of what? Fullness of the entire Godhead is in Jesus. Would you say that's a lot? The fullness of the Godhead, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, all in Jesus, right? Okay, chapter 2, Paul writes and continues and says, he warns in verse 8, Beware lest anyone cheat you through philosophy and empty deceit, according to the tradition of men and not according to the basic principles of the world, or according to the basic principles of the world, not according to Christ. Verse 9, For in him, in Jesus, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily, in human form. You forgive me, it's conjecture, but I think, wow, why didn't his body just explode? <laughs> there's, there's a possibility here that the fullness of God can be in a human form and not explode it. Verse 10 is important to you. You and you are complete in him. Who is the head of all principality and power? Wait. All of the fullness of the Godhead is in Jesus. Jesus says, I'm going to live inside of you. I'm going to come and take up residency within you. It's in John chapter 14, John chapter 15, John chapter 16. It's all through John. I'm going to come. We're going to dwell inside of you. You know, they're going to put the stethoscope on you, and you're going to say, that's Jesus walking around in there. He's going to indwell you. That happens by the infilling and the direct presence of the Holy Spirit. So he who has the fullness of the Godhead is living inside of you. Why don't you explode? And that's not really my question. I'm just trying to get you to get the, the visual that he is indwelling you. Christ is alive in you. He's living his life out through you. This might be a shock. It doesn't look a lot like him sometimes. We have problems. <laughs> Amen? There's provision in the Bible. If any man falls short, right? If any man sins, he confesses his sins. God's faithful and just to forgive our sins, cleanse us from all unrighteousness, and off we go again. Yes, we fail. But that doesn't mean he isn't alive in me. Mm -hmm. There's a moment in there of choice, isn't there? When I'm going to allow him to live out through me, or I'm not going, to, or I'm going to take the reins back and live it out myself. And usually, it's when I take it and live it out myself that I'm back, not long, saying, "Father, forgive me." Right? Because I made that choice. I decided myself. I was going to do it my own way. The Gospel of John, chapter one add to these two, I am complete in him because he lives inside and the fullness of the Godhead is with him. I'm not making myself into a superhero or a superpower. It's him that causes his life to flow out. It's his life that makes a difference coming through. In John chapter 1, our friend the Apostle says in verse 16 and 17, and of his fullness, there's that word again, that fullness. We have all received and grace for grace. For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Jesus is not alive in me to help me keep the list of do's and don'ts of the Old Testament. He is alive in me, however, to keep the commands of the Father. He's alive in me so that we can love one another intimately and fulfill Matthew 22 when the pharisaical lawyer said to Jesus, so which is, the, which is the greatest commandment? You know, in that passage, it says the Pharisees noticed that Jesus had stumped the Sadducees. Just a couple of verses before. Jesus had just finished with the Sadducees, and they couldn't trap him. And so they sent in the Pharisee lawyer. And we won't 
failed the lawyer jokes. But a lawyer wasn't the kind we're thinking of. They were knowledgeable in the laws of God. And he said, which is the greatest commandment? And he, the Bible says he said this specifically to trip Jesus up. He was after Jesus. This guy's in over his head. Which is the greatest commandment? Jesus says, without hesitation, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the greatest commandment. And the second is likened to the first. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And I've done this lots of times, and I hope the the bookbinder doesn't get mad at me. Love God. Can you see that little string there out of my Bible? Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus says, on these two, hang all the law and the prophets. On these two things hangs the whole thing. We need to be concerned about what's in the Word of God. We are concerned about right doctrine, truth. The 1 Corinthians 8.1 says, Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Jesus is taking everything and distilling it down in the face of this lawyer saying, you want, you want an answer to your question? Here it is. Just love God. And love your neighbor like you love yourself. And all those laws will start lining up. Your life will start being abiding in the vine. Your branch will draw the sap that flows from the very vine out into the branch. You know, I, I don't know how visual you are, but I'm seeing this vine and now I'm looking through it, and I'm seeing the sap moving from the thickness of the trunk of that vine out, making the curve out into the branch. And eventually it's going to be all the way out to the end and feeding that one little leaf out there. At what point can you distinguish and can I distinguish when it's not the vine's sap, it's the branch's sap? It's commingled. It's all connected. It's life-giving. It's flowing. Right? Right? And the life of Christ is flowing all the time to you and I. And it's not him or me. There's not a distinction or a demarcation where we cut and say, well, on this side of, of the, the edge of the branch, it's me. And over there, it's him. No, it's too late. Your life is in Christ. His life is in you. And you are drawing life from that source all the time. It doesn't stop. Even in our sin, it doesn't stop. Jesus is greater than our sin. He makes provision for our failure. He asks us to remain no longer in it. And there's so much more of this message that could be given to us by someone better than me, I'm sure. But in order to maintain this condition of life in Christ, we have to abide. We have to remain in Him. And He said, do it this way. Remain in my word and let my word remain in you. So we cannot, we can't do it without this, this book. We can't. We read all the books about the Bible, but if we never read the Bible, it doesn't work. All the books about the Bible are somebody else's opinion of what it says. When I read this, it is the sap. It is, it is Jesus talking to me. I can't, I can't quit without going to this verse I told you I would in John in first John. In order to remain in in abiding means remaining in. You know that mouse is still in that bag over there that I put it in, that illustration. It's still in there. It's abiding. It's remaining. The same Greek word was used when John was baptizing Jesus and the Father had told the, the Baptist, he said, When you see the Spirit of God descending and landing and remaining on this one that's the Messiah. And John stepped back and testified that it was Jesus. He saw the dove descend. Holy Spirit landed on Jesus and remained on him. Anybody else that might have just skirted and left its mark? But God had said this is the indication when it lands and remains. That means it stayed there, right? He made the visual connection for the Baptist to say that's him. When we abide, it means we remain in Christ. 
How do we keep it going? Stay in the Word. And in 1 John chapter 2, verse 20, it says, You have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things. Wow. You know all things. Amazing. Verse 27. But the anointing which you have received from Him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things, and is true and is not a lie, and just as it has taught you, you will abide in Him. The Holy Spirit, Jesus talked to us in John 14, John 16. You find the verses where he said, I'm going to leave pretty soon. And you're all sad about it. I'm going away. But don't worry. When I'm gone, I'm going to send a comforter. I'm going to send a helper. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. He's going to come alongside of you. He's going to teach you everything you need to know. He's going to bring all things to your remembrance. I've got a lot more I want to say to you right now, but you're not able to bear it. So what you need is an infilling of me. You need me to come again. The one, the, the paraclete, the Holy Spirit, the one who comes alongside fastens to you as a picture of rib to rib almost in the original language that he co-joins himself with you and when he does that he's going to continue to lead you into the revelations of these things jesus has said he doesn't even talk about himself he only glorifies jesus he always remember helps you remember what jesus said to you how why does he do that so that you'll continue to abide in him how do we maintain abiding by staying in the word by living from the very living word, Jesus, by allowing the Holy Spirit to teach and train us. And even in the passage that Pastor Rob read this morning during communion, we eat his body, we drink his blood, we share in communion. And if we do this, Jesus says, now you abide in me and I in you. It's not because we ate a cracker and had some juice, right? We're saying, I'm in covenant relationship with God. He's in covenant relationship with me. Covenant means I have access to 100% of everything he has. And he has access to 100% of everything I have. It's not sharesies. It's everything. It's the fullness of the Godhead dwelling in me. To whatever degree, I'm willing to abide in the vine. Next chapter 17, verse 28, there's a little sentence that says, In him we live and move and have our being. If I'm in Christ, I'm a new creation. I'm not a has-been, I'm not a remake, I'm brand new. Everything came from him. Then he transfers me from one, he rescues me from the power of darkness and puts me down into the kingdom of his son and I have no longer any communion with the power of darkness. It has no more hold on me. I've been transferred. I've been relocated. I'm never going to go back to that old neighborhood. So, the reason I picked Rob's to be the power of darkness is it's older than mine. So, I've been delivered. I've been rescued. I don't want to go back into the perilous condition. And then he says, I'm a, I'm a branch that is affixed to the vine. I'm bearing fruit. And to, that we can discuss the degree of fruitfulness. That's not my point this morning. We're all supposed to bear fruit. At the end of that conversation, Jesus says, my father, you didn't choose me. We chose you. Think of that. God picked you. He said, you didn't choose us. We chose you. And our goal for you is that you would bear fruit, more fruit, and fruit that will remain. We have a plan for you. And now, as long as you stay affixed to this vine, it's going to work. And there'll be varying degrees of fruitfulness. And if, if it's not working out well, well, we'll bring correction. We'll bring discipline. We'll bring the washing you need. We'll lift you up. We'll get you in the sunshine again. We're on your team. We're living inside of you. And you're our only hope of dispersing this truth and this good news to the entire world. We're not going to do it any other way but through the church and through the living body of Jesus. And you're it. This, this, this escalates our value. Not just a little church in the mountains. Come on, we have, we've got a reason for being here. And ours is to maintain. Just keep maintaining. Maintain the relationship. Stay in his work. Talk with him. Let him talk back. You be the one that can say to the questioner, how do you know God's alive? Well, I know because I talked to him this morning. 
I know because he spoke back to me. In fact, let me show you what he said. And he confirms it here in his written word. I don't have to live outside the confines of the written Bible. In here is everything I need for life and godliness. And when I read it, the one who is the living word comes alive in me and brings revelation and understanding. Now I really know how to live. Father, I pray that you would help us this morning by faith to appropriate these things. Lord, these are huge things for me. They're way bigger than me. And I thank you for them. I pray that this week in life groups, wherever they're meeting, that you will descend in power with this grace, mercy, kindness, and bring understanding and revelation in the discussions that happen, in the prayer times and the worship moments. Manifest yourself among us. Let the very living Jesus be seen as we gather. Help us, Lord, to stay attached. Help us to be not grafted in as a foreign thing, but a true branch that grew out of the vine. And Father, would you put people in our path to which we can be a demonstration of your grace. To those who you put in our path, Father, make us an aroma of your grace and mercy. Make us attractive to our friends, our co-workers, those that we leave in the world, so that they too can know you and come to this great life that you've given us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Blessings on you. Love one another. That'll help too, loving each other. Amen.